I shouldn't have said it. But <laughs> if you will, get your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 11. You know, there's a lot of misunderstanding about being a Christian. I know that probably if I were to ask this question, how many is in this room is a Christian? Everyone raise your hand. But just because you say it doesn't necessarily mean you are one. A lot of times what we say does not match what we do. And I want to look today at a story that just it's, it's so interesting. In fact, it begins in chapter 9, but we'll, we'll flip back there in just a moment. But Acts chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, I'm going to ask if you would, as we usually do, to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Then Barnabas departed from, Saul, from Tarsus to seek Saul, and he found him. He brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. But notice this last part of that verse. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this day you've given us. And, Lord, again, we ask that you'd protect the ones of our church that are on travel trips and getting in that last holiday, if you will, and just to just enjoying the weekend, extended weekend. And, Lord, we just pray that you'd bring them back safely. Thank you for the, the ones that are here, and we just once again just lift up Jesus Christ in everything we do. Lord, let not a word be spoken, not anything be done that does not glorify you in this building. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be here. Now, I just ask that you would take this message, that's your message, as you would bring forth the way you want it to. And if there be any soul in here that does not know Jesus in a real way, that, Lord, before they leave this building, they'll have an opportunity. Go with us for the next few minutes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Did you realize that the word Christian, the word that we use all the time, it's, very, it's on the news, it's, it's everywhere. Did you realize that the word Christian only occurs in the Bible three times? That's it. No more, no less. You would think if something's as, as important to us as being a Christian is, that would be there thousands of times. But that's not the case. This is one of those times right here that we just read. And notice what it said on verse, uh, back in uh, 26. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. That word only occurs three times in the entire Bible. In the early days of the church, the term Christian was not a complimentary term like we use it today. It, was, it wasn't a term of congratulations. In fact, it wasn't even a term of endearment, if you will. It was a term of scorn to describe and to mock people like you and me who have forsaken everything, supposedly, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this term meant in the first days. However, about the third century, that the term became popular and has been used ever since to describe people like you and I as Christians. Followers of Christ. Even though the term Christian has been used for centuries, there is still a lot of widespread misinformation and misunderstanding as to what it really means to be a Christian. I would safely say if you walk out on the streets of Copper's Cove today and stop people as they walk by, what is, what is a Christian to you? Oh, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Christian. Or I'm a Methodist, I'm a Christian. 
or what, you know, whatever it may be, or that means I'm going to heaven when I die. That's not what a Christian is. A Christian, in the terms that was used where we just read it, it describes, in my terminology, a little Christian, a little Christ. We are to emulate Jesus Christ in our lives, in everything we do. It ought to be reflected. That doesn't mean we're going to wear a robe and thorns on our head walking in town. Some people do carry crosses, so forth, but that's not even what it means. It means the way we live. Something has changed in our life. If you flip back a little bit, we're not going to read this whole passage, but if you flip back to chapter 9, you'll find a very interesting story that most of us are familiar with. It's when the apostle Saul at the time, his name was later changed to Paul, but when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Now, let me read the first verse because that's very telling about this passage. Then Saul, chapter 9, verse 1, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, you and I, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to, to the synagogue and of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, that's us, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. In other words, they were going to jail for being Christians. It was not an easy thing to do to be a Christian back in this day. But notice the next, the verse 3. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone round, around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, remember, he didn't know who the voice was at the moment. And he said, who are you, Lord? He knew immediately who was speaking to him. Saul was not a Christian. I thought, I thought Jesus only talked to Christians. No, sometimes he calls us out of life. Then the Lord said in verse uh, uh, 5, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the, the goads, the pricks. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? And right there's our marching orders, folks. Not just for Paul or Saul at the time. It's for every one of us. Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? He didn't ask, what does Rocky need to do? What did Jerome need to do? What do y'all need to do? He says, what do I need to do? In other words, he recognized immediately. He didn't know what was happening to him, but he knew something had changed. If you continue to read this story, you'll see that the Lord said down a little bit farther about verse 6. The Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. He rises up. He's blind, blinded from this light. He has no sight. They have to lead him there. They take him into town. And then the next, uh, the next part of this verse, beginning in verse about 11 there, we see that the Lord, oh, let's back to verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he says, Here I am, Lord. So he, the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight. Inquire the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him that he might receive his sight. Now, I just want you to picture that for a moment because something's a little fishy there going on. 
Saul, we just read that he had orders to go out and capture and lock up anybody, male or female. It didn't matter. Probably teenagers too, for that matter. Lock them up because they were following Jesus Christ. Now, here he is a short time later. He's sitting in his house, Ananias' house, sitting in his place, and Ananias has orders, go to Saul, meet him, and talk to him. Tell him what he should do. Here's the chief terrorist of ISIS army, basically. And you want me to go talk to him? Lord, I think you got the wrong person for this job. Can't you imagine he walks in that room? Here's old Saul sitting there in that chair. He walks and says, Saul, I'm supposed to come talk to you. I don't know what I'm supposed to say, but I'm supposed to talk to you. And all of a sudden, God intervenes and words just come out of his mouth. See, God had this plan years and years and years before. God knew who he needed to be the Paul of the New Testament. Not anybody could have done the job that Paul did. He faced shipwrecks. He faced beatings. He was locked in prison for nothing doing, going wrong. He did all these things so he knew if he could... Once he got this man named Saul, became Paul, he would have the worker he wanted. And my thought to you is today, just like that verse we just read, what do you want me to do? What do you want these people to do? Are you doing it? Do you know what God's called you to do? Oh, yes, I'm a Sunday school teacher. Oh, yes, I'm a music director. Oh, yes, I'm this, I'm that. I work in the church. Is that all he's called you to do? I think sometimes we miss what God's called us to. And the Christians and the disciples were first called Christian in Antioch. Like I said, about the third century, the term became popular, and it has been ever since. But there are many opinions about what it means to be a Christian. If you walked out in the street and asked ten different people, I almost believe... I'm almost sure you would receive ten different answers. Folks, being a Christian is not necessary being a Baptist. Now, we particularly like the Baptists. I think that's the right way to go. But there's a Methodist church over here that's just as godly as we are. Well, maybe not quite, but no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But it's, uh, but they're Christians. There's the Church of Christ over here. Are they Christians? I believe they are. Now, they're just like the Baptists. They've got some people inside the church that aren't Christians. Just because you're a church of Christ doesn't mean you're a Christian. But what am I saying? There's Christian people in every one of the churches. We just, I said a while ago, we started the uh, study in Rome, in uh, the uh, uh, Revelation. And just last week, we started talking about the churches. And I believe, and this is my belief, you can disagree if you want to. You have a right to be wrong. But it's, uh, I believe that these churches that are pictured in Revelation were actual churches. That's where some of these letters in the New Testament were written to. But today they still, there's a representation of that group still there. It doesn't mean it's like it used to be. In fact, if you go back and read the book of Revelation, chapter 2, you'll find a lot of things that God said, this is not good in your church. And I think that's a picture for us to look at and make sure we're the church we need to be. It's easy for us to sit here and look at other churches and grade them and say, well, they're not, you know, they don't meet our standards. Be careful. God had some pretty hard standards for those churches back in there. If you're not being true to it, it applies to each one of us as well. 
what it means to be a Christian. What does it mean? You probably, again, would receive several different answers as you go through the passage or go through that talking to people. There are some people that feel that being a Christian is to live a good life. A lot of people believe that. If I live a good life and I don't do the things that people are not supposed to do, then I'll go to heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches, folks. The Bible doesn't say a thing about living a good life outside of the life of Christ. What it says is Jesus Christ should be your life in everything we do. He ought to be our motivating factor. He ought to be everything. It's commendable to live a good life. You ought to strive to live a good life. But that doesn't make you a Christian just because you live a good life. One of the greatest advantages that a young person can have is to be born into a Christian family. I've shared with you many times I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I had a good family. They loved me. I mean, it just, but we just, and we didn't, my parents didn't dislike God or anything. We just didn't have time for church, I suppose. I never heard a reason. That's, I'm just assuming that's what it was. We didn't have time to go to church. We were always too busy doing other things. But yet, think about the advantages that a Christian young person has today in a, in a Christian family. But even being born in a Christian family does not make you a Christian. Just because your parents were Christians does not mean you are a Christian. You may have lived a good life all your life. You may have never touched alcohol in your life. You may have never smoked a cigarette or whatever, any sin you want to pick out and still not be a Christian. You don't have to be raised in a Christian home so you'll be a Christian. It's a choice that each one of us makes at some time or not. Paul was on the road to destroy these people, Christians that we call them today. He was going to lock. If he had come in our building today, he would lock every one of us up. Well, I don't know. Some of them may change their mind and say, well, forget me. I'm not a Christian. I'm just sitting here to listen to music. You know. But he was here to lock up you and I as Christians. That's what he was on the road for. But thank God he intervened in that picture and changed Saul, who became Paul, who wrote so many books of the New Testament. When he got a dose of it, he got the real thing. And, folks, the same thing applies to us. If you didn't get the real thing, you ain't got Jesus. I know that's not good English, but that's, that's just the way I can put it. You ain't got him if you didn't get the real thing. You can come to church 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and not have Jesus. Because being in this church doesn't make you a Christian. Any more than sitting in a garage makes you a car. You've got to know who Jesus is. Let's move on a little bit. Again, one of the greatest advantages that a young person can have is to be born and raised in a Christian home. But that doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you live in a Christian home, that doesn't make you a Christian. Christianity is not hereditary. There are those who think that being a Christian means belonging to a church. Well, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Baptist. That doesn't make you a Christian, folks. But neither does baptism make you a Christian. It doesn't make you a child of God. Wait a minute, I thought baptism is important to the Baptist church. It is. Very important. But it's a picture of what happened to you. If you don't have the picture of Jesus in your life, that baptism means nothing. It's a real thing that it represents. You're saying, just like Christ, I died to my old life. I was raised again in my new life. I'm going to walk in the newness of life. 
I'm a newborn person from that point on. If that isn't what being baptized means to you, you've missed the point. Being baptized does not make you a Christian. It just signifies you're a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian then? Well, let's go through these pretty quick. To be a Christian means that you are saved. Now, I know a lot of people don't like that word. I remember some years ago that we had a young man in our church that passed away, and his family asked me to do the funeral, and his mother was a Methodist. And nothing wrong with Methodists. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. And we sat on the table, the, fam- uh, the, the uh, wife, and then I believe the oldest daughter was there, and then Grandma came in. And she sat down, and we talked a little bit, and, you know, what they wanted to serve and so forth. And she said, and, and I don't, well, just listen to the story. You'll see what I'm talking about. She turned to me, and when it was about finished, she said, I've got a question. She says, you're not going to talk about being saved, are you? I said, that's a Baptist term. I'm Methodist. Uh, no, ma'am. That's not a Baptist term. That's a Jesus term. Go look it up. That's what Jesus calls it, being saved. Ye must be saved, he says. That's not Baptist. And I don't think it's the way she said it. I don't think she really believed that. But at the same time, that's what she said, the words she said. It's not a Methodist term. It's a God term. God put that in the Word. Jesus Christ spoke of it several times. So it has nothing to do with really what we're talking about. But some people get offended when you talk about being saved. Because what am I saved from? What's it about? A Christian who is a per, uh, has been rescued or delivered from something. What have you been delivered from? Your old life. What you used to be. What you may have been 20 years ago. However long it's been. I don't know. That's what being saved from is. Jesus Christ saved me from that, pulled me out of that, and put me in a new family called the Christian family. So, yes, I proudly claim that I'm saved. Jesus changed my life. I can look back to the time when my salvation happened. And, oh, what a difference there is today. But just like that little song says, I'm not what I need to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. I've still got a long ways to go. In fact, if he gets me to the place where he perfects me, I'm going to have to live at least 150 years. And I'm not that, well, I'm not that far from it, but it's, (laughs) anyway. What do we say from? The Bible teaches clearly that man's natural condition is to sin, to do wrong. All of us were born into a sinful nature. You don't have to spank a child to get them to do wrong. You ever notice that? I mean, even the babies, they just automatically do things wrong. Just to antagonize the parents, I think. And most of the time they do it at 2 o'clock in the morning. But that, that's another story. We won't get into that. But it's all of us are born with a sinful nature. They know automatically how to aggravate you. Chill. I'm talking about babies. Wake you up at 2 in the morning. What do you want this time of morning? She sits there with a big smile on his or her face. I want a bottle. <laughs> That's what I want. You got me up for a bottle? They don't have to be taught how to do wrong. They automatically know that. It's their nature, each one of us. You have to spank them and teach them to do right. That's what you have to do. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How many of there out here today is not included that all? Me neither. 
Paul is inclusive of every person that's ever been on the face of the earth. There's not a one of us alive that's not sinned. In some cases, time and time and time again. Many times. That's just in five minutes. But it just... For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When we were saved, we were saved from what we were. So you're saying that after I got saved that I'm perfect? Oh, no. That's not what I'm saying. I'm looking at a bunch of Baptists. I know they're not perfect. <laughs> These visitors may be perfect. I don't, I don't know them, so they may be perfect. But none of us are perfect. Every day of the week, we may not do some what we call the big sins, but we have thoughts. We get angry. We get mad. We say things, whether it's in our head or whether we actually say it. God reads our thoughts. He knows every thought you have. And all these things, it's a regular basis. We all are there. The next thing it means is that we are saved from doom. The word salvation means to be restored or delivered. How many of you remember Apollo 13 some years ago? Remember it was headed back to earth from the moon. A tense moment developed. It looked for a while like it might miss the earth's atmosphere and careen off into outer space with no way to bring them back. But the headlines in the paper the next morning, we were living in Fort Worth at the time, Fort Worth area. The next day in big, bold black letters, I remember it said, rescued. I mean, they were about four-inch letters, big old letters, top of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. Rescued. And you knew exactly what it meant. Every life is headed in one of two directions. You're either going to heaven or you're going to hell right now. There is no in-between. You don't get to stop and rest a little bit and decide, well, I want to go the other way. That's not a choice. You're headed in one or two directions. You're headed toward hell, but when Christ comes in your life, he changes that destination, and now you're headed to heaven. Judy said a while ago that she was gets to lead music this morning, so she's going to sing songs what she wants to. Then I think we ought to all get a day too, don't y'all? I've heard when we all get to heaven all of my life, and I don't know who the lady she's talking to, but I'm sure, I've written, I'm sure I know her. I sort of agree with her. I'm tired of hearing that song. Not because it's a beautiful song, beautiful words, but because she sings it every time she gets a chance. I mean, around the house, she plays that. I go in the other room, I can still hear it on the piano. But listen to the words of it. When we all get to heaven, what a glorious day that will be. And it will be because God has destined the ones who know him as their personal Savior will one day be in heaven. That means that I'm not only going to have to go to church with a lot of y'all, I've got to go to heaven with a lot of y'all. Uh, I don't know. I hope things are different in heaven. Now, Rocky and I, Rocky said he's going to, we're going to, we're going to live together in our mansion. That ain't going to happen, I promise you. <laughs> anyway, let's move along. Every life is headed in one of two directions. You're sitting here to die today, and your life is headed in one of two directions, and you know which way it's going because you know if I've accepted Jesus Christ or not. And the Bible plainly tells us if you haven't, you're headed in the other direction. That mean, doesn't mean you can't change that direction, and God's wanting you to change it. 
Christ saves us and he delivers us from doom. The third, second thing we see, that it means to be a Christian is to be sure. Can you imagine any of the New Testament Christians not being sure of their salvation? I have people all the time say something like, well, you know, you just, you just really can't be sure until one of these days we, the end comes. We die and then we'll be sure for, for sure. I don't believe that. I don't believe it for a moment. Can you imagine walking up to the door of old Simon Peter? Simon Peter, do you know whether or not you're a Christian? And Simon Peter replies, well, I hope so. I'm trying to do my best. I'm really not sure. I think I am. What about old Paul, the one we're talking about here today? Paul, are you a Christian? Well, I don't think anybody can be sure until they get to heaven. Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1.10, listen to these words. Brethren, give diligence to make your calling sure. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12, For I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Do you think they were doubting their salvation? Absolutely not. They were sure of it. You can know whether or not you're saved. You can know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. What does it mean to be a Christian? I think is this one of the most neglected truths to the average congregation of believers. God intends for Christians to be different. Did you hear me? God intends you and I to be different from the world. Are we? I can't speak for you. I can speak for me, and I catch myself a lot of times leaning toward the world, doing things the world does, doing things that I know are not what I should be doing. But I'm still human. I catch myself quite often. Second Corinthians says, Come out from among them and be ye separate. 1 John chapter 2, 5 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Are you of the world or are you of the Christ? As Christians, we ought to be different. Our lives ought to be different. When people look at us, it ought to be different. When we walk to Walmart, walk to Walmart. <laughs> not too many of us walk to Walmart. But when we go to Walmart, people ought to see us as different. They ought to see there's something different about that person. And it draws Christ to them, when they talk to us, when they hear us talk, when they hear us get mad when they we didn't get that parking place they wanting at Walmart, what do we do? What do we let them know? Do we let them know by our gestures? Maybe we yell something out of the car at them. I'm just waiting for the day when I say something I shouldn't have said and. This person says, I know him. He's the pastor of Robertson Avenue Baptist Church. And it's come close a few times too, folks. <laughs> but what I'm saying is we ought to be different in our lives. Our lives ought to exemplify Christ. Our lives ought to exude Christ. When people see us and know us, it ought to make a difference in us. Have you noticed that? how we've almost managed to erase the line between Christian and non-Christian in our country today. I mean, God is being taken out of everything in our country. 
And we as Christians are just standing by and let it happen. I thought of 20, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, where it was when Miss Madeline Murray O'Hare, by one person, took prayer schools. This would wake us up, but it hadn't. We're just watching it take place. Folks, we're a force, the Christian army. And the Christian army right now is refusing to fight the battle. Oh, I can't get involved in that. That's politics. No, sir. It's our rights to fight and to let our voices be known. But we're erasing the line between Christian and non-Christian. Today, you can hardly tell the difference. The average Christian goes to the same place as the non-Christian goes. They dress the same way non-Christians dress. They talk the same the way non-Christians talk. It seems that we as Christians want to conform to the world more than the world to conform to us. It seems like we're giving in to them. To be separated also means that we will be living in the will of God. Too many times we look at a Christian as to what we don't do. We're so proud of the things that we don't do that those other people do. Oh, but I don't do those things you do. That makes us so much better than the other people in our minds. Next time you're driving down a country road, look at those fence posts out there standing up holding those barbed wire fences around this area. Just watch them for a minute. That fence post doesn't, it just stands there. But it doesn't drink. It doesn't curse. It doesn't do all the things we're talking about. But all it does is stand there. Isn't that a picture of a lot of Christian people right there? We're just fence posts for the world on the highways. Because we're doing nothing for God. Oh, but we're not doing anything wrong. I don't drink. I don't curse. I don't do all these things that the other people do. But what are you doing? Oh, well, I just stand here. Isn't that a picture of a whole lot of Christian people? It doesn't do anything. It just stands there. They don't do anything. They just stand there as Christians and let everyone else carry the load, teach the classes, do what needs to be done. It's really not so important as what you don't or what you're not doing. What are you doing for Christ is the question. Oh, but I come to church every week. Well, so what are you doing? What are you doing? How are you helping? Oh, I'm just a fence post. I'm just a chair sitting here. To be honest with you, I could go out and get drunk every weekend if I wanted to. I could run around with my wife if I wanted to. But God took away the want to in my life. I don't have that want to anymore. I cherish my family. And they're not perfect family by any means. But I cherish them and I love them. And I want to be an example for them the best I possibly can. And believe me, I'm not a very good example sometimes. God has totally changed my want to in my life. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means to be spiritual. Some people flinch when you mention that word spirit-filled, but let me tell you something. You go through the Bible and show me a more spirit-filled person than Jesus Christ. He was the most spirit-filled person in the Bible and has ever been. There was never anything about Christ which caused people to think that he was eccentric 
or out of the way or odd or whatever term you want to use. Instead, there was a magnetism about Jesus, the drawing power that he had. He could just speak words and people would come listen to him. He had something, a magnetism. I believe it was his spirit-filled life. He was in one unity with the Father. Guess what I, I discovered the other day? There's not a person in this room that couldn't be the same way. I can't be like Jesus. What are you talking about? No, I said spirit-filled. Every one of us here have the direct access to God just like Jesus did. You know the only difference is we don't want to be that way. We like to talk about it, but we really don't want to be spirit-filled because somebody will call me odd. Somebody will say, That's, he's a religious nut. Jesus was called a religious nut a bunch of times. He took it as a compliment. There was a drawing, a magnetism about Jesus. So what does it mean to be spiritual? It means to be full of the Scripture. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says this, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. See, the Bible says you can be spiritually just like Jesus. Because all you've got to do is let the, Spirit of God, let the Word of God dwell in each one of us. I read an article not too long ago out of one of our Southern Baptist magazines, and this just blew my mind. They did a survey in churches, in Baptist, Southern Baptist churches. How long, how much time do you spend each week reading the Bible? And folks, it was less than 15 minutes a week what their survey concluded. I'm talking about Baptists, the people of the book. I mean, we proclaim the Bible. We're Bible believers, but we don't read it. Why are we spiritually less powerful than we need to be? Because we don't have the Word of God dwelling in us like it needs to be. Well, that's offensive. I get offended by that. Well, sorry, snowflake. You just got offended. <laughs> that's God saying. I didn't say that. Listen to what it says. Colossians 3.16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. It didn't say poorly. It said richly. In all wisdom. We have the access to have that. Don't profess to be a spiritual Christian if you're not letting the Word of God dwell in you. But studies show that we as Baptists, and I'm not talking about any of the others, just the Baptists, we go home during the week, and most of the time we pitch this on the coffee table and never pick it up until next Sunday so we can carry it into the house of God and look like we're a Christian. Are you a spiritual Christian? It will show in your home life. It will affect your church life. It will affect your personal life. It will affect your business life. In every of your, of your life, excuse me, Jesus Christ will not be present He'll be prominent in your life. Every single one of us. He will be preeminent in your life. What does it mean to be a Christian? Real quick, the last one, it means to be satisfied. God takes care of our needs, our physical needs, our emotional needs, our material needs, when we turn our lives over to Him. Do you believe that? Amen. Watch how He takes care of all of the needs you have if you'll just yield to Him. What's these verses? Psalms chapter 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It was personal. Psalms 37 verse 25 says, I have been young and now I am old, and yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Isaiah 26 3 says, that, 
That will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. I can tell you from experience, when I became a Christian, I lost a lot of good friends because I all of a sudden didn't want to go drinking with them, running around with them, all the things that we did. And I lost a lot of good friends. But yet years later, I look back and think, God, I'm, got, I'm glad that God got those people out of my life. Because I was headed for a wrong road and it would have destroyed me. There is no question in my life that if I had kept doing what I was doing, I would have been an alcoholic within a few years. I was headed that way. I knew it. I just didn't want to quit it. But God took the want to away. He didn't want us to have that. Now some year, 45 years later, probably a little more than that, I can stand here and I can proudly say, I am satisfied with Jesus. But here's the question. But is Jesus satisfied with me? I want you to do something this morning as we close out. Turn to page 472 in your hymn book. 472. And I'll be, I forgot to pick up a songbook. Don't y'all use songbooks up here? Let me get one real quick. This is important. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Page 472. I want you to hear this. Now, let me say this before we, before we do this. I love a lot of the new music. I really do. That song we sang a while ago, how, uh, what's in it? Great is Our God, has beautiful words. I just love that. But I want to show you something in one of the old hymn books. Page 472, the name of it is Satisfied with Jesus. Listen to these words. Verse 1, I am satisfied with Jesus. He has done so much for me. He has suffered to redeem me. He has died to set me free. Then the chorus, I am satisfied with, I am satisfied, I am satisfied. I am satisfied with Jesus. But the question comes to me as I think of Calvary, is my master satisfied with me? Look at verse 2. He is with me in my trials. Best of friends, all he is he. I can always count on Jesus. Can he always count on me? Verse 3. I can hear the voice of Jesus calling out, pleading, uh, calling out so pleadingly, Go and win the lost and straying. He is, is he satisfied with me? Verse 4. When my work on earth is ended and I cross the mystic sea, oh, that I could hear him saying, I am satisfied with thee. Folks, we may be satisfied with what Jesus has done in our lives, but let me ask you, and only you know, you and Jesus, is he satisfied with you this morning? Really? Let's stand together. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us. Lord, as we come to close this service, Lord, you know the hearts of every man, woman, teenager, boy, girl, whatever's in this room. And you know where they're really at. And, Lord, there may be somebody here today that they're a member of a church, maybe even a Baptist church. But in their heart of hearts, they know that they've never truly given their life over to you. I don't know what the need in anybody in this room is, but I know this. I'm satisfied with Jesus, but I'm not always sure that he's satisfied with me. Make us sure this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Jesus. There's mercy with the Lord, and He will surely give you rest by trusting in His Word. Only trust Him, only trust Him, only trust Him God good this morning. I know that's not perfect English, but it's good theology. Ain't God good? Good to have you this morning. If you're visiting with us, you're our special visitors. Once again, we had people drive all the way to Kentucky just to come hear me preach. The only reason they came down here, they just said that while they was here, they'd go ahead and see their son and daughter-in-law, but that's that's and grandkids. But that's that's the reason they came down here. So be sure to welcome them. We got visitors scattered around. Just let them know you're glad to have them this morning. Be sure to greet them and shake their hands so much that they'll be tired and have to come back next week to get a renewal. So come on. Remember tonight, we will have regular service, but it won't be our Bible study. We'll be having a, a, a Larry Sturm and his what is he? What is my student? Sign language. Sign language group, and they're going to be singing songs. Probably pretty quiet. I don't know, but it's, I don't know how that works. But it, uh, they'll be here tonight at six six o'clock, and then uh, then we've got a, a missionary who's going to talk about her work in the Philippines. She's with them and a friend of Larry's that he's known for years, and so he's, she's going to be here doing that. So come on out. Be just a regular Sunday night service, and then next week we'll get back started on the uh, the, uh, the uh, Revelation studies. So come on out and join us tonight. Any other words before we dismiss? Anything at all? Brother Joe, would you dismiss us, please?